Uh, so tonight's lesson is going to be God's design for romantic relationships. Uh, we're going to talk to a little bit about the, the who, the what, and the why. So, wow, that's <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> um, but basically, um, there's a lot of questions in the church and even in the world today about, you know, why did God design sex and why did he design romantic relationships and who are they for, what context was it for, you know, if God wants us to love one another and be happy and to enjoy this kind of thing, you know, why can't we just have it all the time with whoever, you know, what are the, what are the bigger reasons besides just some key passages in the Bible that most people point to? You know, because when people talk about sex and relationships and romance and marriage and all that, typically people refer to two or three different passages in Scripture and say, well, the Bible says this. And that's good to say, well, the Bible says this, so let's follow it. But as you're explaining this to somebody else, or even you yourself may say, I want something more than that. I want something a little bit deeper. I want to really understand why God made it this way and what, the, what is the purpose of this. So tonight's lesson, we're going to dive deep into say, who, what, and why God designed romantic relationships. And we're going to use scripture. We're going to dive pretty deep into scripture. Maybe a passage you haven't heard before or haven't listened to recently. And we're also going to use some facts in the world today that we see around us. So we're going to use the Bible and things we can see in our world today to combine together to show us truly God's design for romantic relationships. So as we start here, the who. <clears throat> So God designed for a man and a woman only to enter into a romantic relationship. Although there's lots of debate about this in our world today, and sadly, even in some of our churches, if you really read the Bible and understand it, there shouldn't be any debate about this. God made romantic relationships for a man and a woman only to come together as one. Now here's where I get this from. And, and, you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. <clears throat> so when God made man and God made woman, one of his first commands to them was to be fruitful and multiply. Well, all of you guys know how humans multiply. Okay, you know, me and Grace just had a baby recently, and um, there's only and <laughs> so it takes two to tango. Um, so <laughs> okay, listen. So so when God made so when God made man and woman, uh, part of the creation of man and woman uh, was for them to be fruitful and multiply, and that's how the earth was going to get filled, and that was through sex, and that's how they did that. But I want you guys to think about this. Five reasons why God designed romantic relationships for man and woman only. Number one is was sex was created for humans to reproduce. Okay? Obviously, if you're in a man and a man, and a woman and a woman, and you're doing some sexual things together, you're not gonna produce a child, okay? Um, you know, obviously there's things you can do like infertilization and things like that, but you're still gonna have to use a sperm and an egg, okay? That's the only way a child is born. And the reason is, is because that's, um, God also wanted us to uh, come together as one to make another. So all throughout scripture, God talks about man and woman coming together to make one. Because think about this. The way a man is built, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, is a lot different than how a woman is built. 
emotionally and spiritually. There's things that women are naturally better at than men. And there's things that men are naturally better at than women. Think about this. Um, if you look at our world today, like athletic-wise, there's never going to be a woman that runs faster than a man or lifts more than a man if the man and the woman are both competing at their highest level. Because men naturally have things, testosterone, and they have muscle build that make them stronger. And it, but if you look at the vice versa of that, there's never going to be a man that produces a child. Okay, That's something only women can do. And going through that is an incredible event. It takes a lot of strength and athleticism and in a lot of ways to have a child. There's a lot that goes into that. And then in addition, if you look at uh, psychological studies, you look at other kind of studies, women typically are a little bit more sympathetic, a little more caring, a little more nurturing. That's why a lot of times you see women specialize in childcare and things like that because they have that natural gift. You know, that's why you know mothers do so well uh, with, with children starting off with because they have this natural mothering, nurturing effect. So God designed for man and woman to come together and to use that protective quality that guys have, that go-getter, uh, and then to use the emotional side of women to come together to make one as, as stronger than what they were separately. So if you think about it like this, God being above humans has all the attributes anybody could ever imagine. Because God is perfect, and anything that comes from God, God already has himself. So if he gives men certain attributes and women certain attributes, when they come together as one and they come into marriage, they become more like God because they come together to have a stronger force. That makes sense? So if you have a man and a man coming together, a woman and a woman coming together, you're not going to have that same kind of companionship and that same kind of molding together because you're not going to be able to give that person what the other person's lacking. See, men and women complement each other because they're strong in areas that the other one's weak, and they can help each other. Um, so that's, that's another reason. Also, you want to get real crazy with it? The human, the human anatomy obviously clearly points to a man is made to have sex with a woman and vice versa. You know, it works perfectly. Anything else is not natural. Okay, so you look at just human anatomy in itself. One version obviously works really well. Any other version of that is a distortion and it's not natural. So that should be a sign there that hey, this was not how things were created to be. Um, if you look at Genesis 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So again, a man and a woman come together, they become stronger together, and they become one flesh. And then it goes here, I want you guys to think about this reason. God designed man to lead and take care of his wife as Christ leads and cares for the church. And vice versa, women are called to support their husbands bring life into the world and, and, and bring the other other part that God gave them that men are weaker in to become a united unit together. So if you don't have men and women working together, you don't have that kind of relationship, you're never going to have the kind of strong relationship that you could have. And you're never going to have the relationship that God intended you to have. I want you to think about this. All throughout the Bible, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Christ comes back he protects the church, he cares for the church, he loves the church, he obviously died for the church, he forgives the church, and that's the same way 
that a man is called to treat his wife. I want you guys to think about as you're looking for romantic relationships, if you're a woman, think about that. Does the guy treat you that way? As Christ treats the church? Does he care for you? Does he support you? Does he encourage you? Does he forgive you? Does he protect you? Things like that. If he's not doing those things, then he's not living the life that God has called him to live. He's not being the man that God has called him to be. But if he's being that man, and then in turn the woman is supporting her husband, she's encouraging him, she's bringing that emotional side out, she's, she's caring for the children, and, and, and she's doing the things that God has called her to do, together they'll become an unstoppable force for God. And so God designed it this way on purpose. If you look at 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So it talks about there, men are supposed to be with women, again, to compliment them, because women are the weaker vessels and physically, men protect them, men comfort them, men guide them, and they're there to be there, uh, be there for them. And then vice versa, it says in Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and it is himself. Okay. <clears throat> Come together as one. <clears throat> and so, if you look at the last part here, why, why is it wrong? Is it really wrong for man to be with man and for woman to be with woman? Well, if you look here, it also states in Leviticus and in 1 Corinthians that it's sinful to do anything contrary to how God designed it. I want you to think about this. In Genesis, everything that God created, he said it was what? Good. So everything God created said it was good. It was perfect. So sex was good. God said, yeah, that's great. When God created man and woman, he said, hey, that's good. When God put them together in marriage, he said, hey, that's good because they're in marriage, they have sex, they reproduce, they enjoy that. Everything goes, everything goes well. It only became bad when humans and Satan distorted it and used it out of context. And that's true of anything in life. Everything we see in our, in our world today, our world originally was a good place. Everything around it was good. But all these things that could be used for good things today, the devil likes to twist and distort, and humans go alongside him, and then our sinful nature, we use it out of context, we use it out of God's design, out of God's plan, and it becomes bad. And it's not because God doesn't love us, it's not because God is my way or the highway kind of thing, although it should be that way as you look in the Bible, we should follow God in that way. It's because God knows as well, if you don't follow his design, if you don't follow his plan, bad things are going to happen. It may not happen right away, but eventually something bad is going to happen to you in that relationship or to you individually. Because he knows that doing anything outside of his plan, it becomes not good, and you're not going to have the love, the joy, the peace, the happiness. Something really bad is going to happen. Maybe worse for some than others, but you're not going to have ultimate fulfillment if you don't do what God's designed or planned, because that's the only way you're, all, you're going to have true fulfillment in life if you come together as God has called you to. So what do you guys think about this? So in Leviticus 20, it says, <clears throat> If a man lies with a male, <clears throat> as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. 
So, oh, is that pretty extreme example back then? No, so listen, obviously this is Old Testament. That's Levitical law. So when Christ came, he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So Christ paid the punishment for our sin. So obviously if somebody is gay or bisexual or lesbian, they shouldn't be put to death, okay? They're sinning just like we sin, okay? And sometimes we like to say, well, this sin is the worst possible sin ever. But they may think that you lying, cheating on people is the worst sin ever, okay? Sometimes we like to favor certain sins, but all sins disobey God and separate us from him. So Christ paid the punishment, but there's still consequences for sin. Just like if you lie, you cheat on somebody, or you rob a bank, or you do something terrible, bad things are still going to happen. God still punishes you, although Christ has paid the ultimate punishment. And so it says here in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idlers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor any of these people that practice these things will inherit the kingdom of God. But then it says, as such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Why is that important? <clears throat> in the New Testament, yes, it mentions homosexuality is a sin that leads to hell. But it also mentions drunkards, it mentions lying, being a thief, all these things that Probably all of us have done one or two of those things in our life. So it's not saying that, hey, if you commit this sin, boom, you're cast to hell, you're done forever. It's saying if you don't turn from these things, that's your final destination. Because all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. And if we don't repent of that and give our lives to Christ, then when we die, we're going to be separated eternally from him. Does that make sense? But that's why also it gives a hope in that Corinthians passage saying, hey, even if you were, you went against this design, you're living that homosexual lifestyle, or you're a thief or a drunkard, or whatever you may be practicing right now that's not right and against God's design. If you turn from those things, it says you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he forgives you, he washes you clean, he makes you whole and new again. So one day when you die, you spend eternity in heaven with him. So I want us to look at homosexuality as, yes, it's wrong, but it's not practicing that. It's not like, oh, they're going to hell. I'm better than them. Let me never talk to them. We should look at them and say, hey, right now, they're in a lifestyle that is contrary to God's design and God's plan. But if they repent of that, look at what God could do with them. Look at where God could take them. Look at the witness they could be in the future. And if we see them like that in love and in kindness, and the way we talk to them and approach them will be completely different. And we'll do it out of love and not out of, I'm better than you. Does that make sense kind of thing? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I want us to um, think about this. The biggest lie today in our world is that anything you feel like doing, you should do. Anybody kind of heard that? Like, if I feel like it, let's do it. This doesn't just apply to homosexuality. This also applies to other parts of relationships. If you're in a man and female relationship, you know, the world is going to say, hey, if you feel it, if you feel good about it, if you feel like, hey, I should do this, 
Let's go after it. But it is not in God's design. It is not in God's plan. There's going to be consequences for that. And even if you're a Christian, you know, hey, I'm going to heaven one day. When you do things that are contrary to God's plan, there's still worldly punishments for that. And it may not even be physical. It may be mental and emotional things that you go through. You know, it's a psychological fact. Even non-Christians will tell you, hey, if you live certain lifestyles, you're more prone to depression. You're more prone to anxiety. You're more prone to suicide. You're more prone to all these things because it's not natural. And if you go against your natural created self, how God has created you, not how your human nature says to be, then it's not going to work out in the long run. The truth is, you should not be whoever you want to be. You should be whoever God's called you to be. I want you to think about that. The truth is, you should not strive in life to be whoever you want to be. You should strive to be whoever God's called you to be. So if you think that, hey, God is calling me, and you're praying, and you're like, God is calling me to be a missionary, well, go do that. If God is calling you to be an accountant, well, go do that and do it for his glory. If God is calling you to be a doctor, go do that and do it for his glory. But do what God's plan for you and God's desire for you, and you'll find the most joy and fulfillment in that long term than anything else. If you do anything other than that, you're not going to have ultimate joy and satisfaction in life. And there's going to be an emptiness within you. I want you to think about something here. <clears throat> Some of us will say, well, I want to be an athlete, okay? That's a great goal. Maybe you're good at sports right now. But think about this. What if you get to college and you're just not great, okay? It's like you're a good athlete, but you're not a great athlete. And you're like, you know what? I'm not giving up my goal. This is what I want to do. And even though time and time again, you know, you're not, you see that there's really no future if you're making it to the big leagues. And it's not making you any money. You're putting your family in debt, whatever. Then you may say, well, hey, this is a selfish goal of mine. This is what I want. And maybe God has something better for me. That makes sense. I want you guys to think about this, too, in your life. <clears throat> in relationships, you're going to see that boy that girl sometimes that you really want to be with. Okay, they may, they may look nice on the outside, they may be funny, they may be athletic, they may can sing well, maybe they can act well, and they may be a great person, but they may not be a great person, and they just have these great characteristics about them. And if God is telling you, this is not my plan for you, Victoria, this is not my plan for you, Sarah, why, this is not what I want for you, and you say, well, you know what, God, screw that, I'm doing it anyway, because I like this person. I promise you guys that you're going to look back later in life and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Hey, hey guys, listen real quick. <clears throat> I, there's a lot of relationships that I was in in high school and in middle school or high school, really, and even in early college, that if I could go back, I would not enter those relationships. Hey, guys, listen real quick. There. Listen. Listen, guys. So there's a lot of relationships that maybe look good on the outside, or you selfishly enter, and then later on you realize that was a bad mistake, and if you don't get out quick enough, you're gonna make a lot more mistakes in that relationship, and then when you're 26 years old one day, you're looking back on your life, you're like, dang, I really messed up, I wish I wouldn't have done that, because now I have a wife, now I have a kid, and my life is going good, but I still live with some of these things I, I did back in the past, because I can't take those away. So although, yes, I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed, I still carry some of that with me because it doesn't just go away. And so 
The second thing we're going to talk about here today is what kind of romantic relationship should you pursue? Besides just being a man or woman, you know who. And I want you guys to write this down and think about this. All right, guys, listen up. Think about this. Romantic relationship should only be with someone you think you can spend your life with. Romantic relationships should only be with somebody you think you can spend your life with. What I mean by that is that you look at somebody and you're like, they're funny, they're attractive, they'd be a great person to go out with, but I know they're doing this, this, this they shouldn't do, and I know that long term this will never work out, so we'll have this little summer fling or spring fling, whatever you want to call it. I promise you, you're going to regret that later on. Because it may be fun in the moment. It may be enjoyable in the moment. But later on, when you get older, you're going to look back and say, dang, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Because I made a lot of mistakes, and I live with regrets now that I wish I could take back. Because God's desire for relationships are to get you to a point of marriage. Why is that? Because God created man and woman to unite together and become stronger as one. He didn't create man and woman to just live together and, you know, hang out every now and then and go do their own thing. No, he created them to come together as one, become stronger. And so if you're dating, if you go that route, that's what that's for. It's to get to know somebody better, get to know somebody deeper that you see that, hey, I may have a future with this person. You know, I, I can see myself possibly having a long-term future with this person. And then as soon as you think, as soon as you think, okay, this is not going to happen anymore, there's no future of this person, then you've got to get out right then. Because the longer you wait, the more mistakes you're going to make and the more regrets you're going to have later on. Um, you, should, <clears throat> you should never enter a romantic relationship with someone you don't think there's any chance you can marry. You're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. I heard something one time that was pretty good, and it said, <clears throat> if, you're, if you meet the right person, but you're not in the right state of mind, then you may miss them. So think about this. If you meet the right person, but you're in the wrong state of mind, then you might miss that person. And if you're out there having spring flings or summer flings or with the wrong person, then when the right person comes along, you're not ready to perceive them because you've done cracked up yourself. But if you work on yourself now, you try to grow in your relationship with God, work on yourself, become the best version you can be in yourself, then when eventually God does send the right person in your life, you'll recognize that, and you'll be ready for them, and the relationship will be much smoother. And you can have a really good relationship long term. So I want you guys to think about that. If the right person were to come along today, would you be ready to receive that person? Or is there some things in your life that maybe you say, hey, I really need to work on that because I'm not looking for the right things right now or I'm not in the right place to really have a long-term relationship. And if you're not, maybe you say, okay, well, I don't want to be in the long-term right now. Then just work on yourself for a little while. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, some people say that because God designed man and woman to come together, that you have to be married. But there's people in the Bible that never got married, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're not going to get married, then you should just avoid the romantic relationship. And you can have an even deeper relationship with God and just enjoy Him and have friends and family and just be a person everybody likes to be around. But if you think that, hey, 
I would like to be married one day. I want to pursue a romantic relationship. I have this desire within me and do it in the right way and don't get in that until you're ready to be in it. Because the worst thing you can do is get in the wrong relationship with the wrong person at the wrong time. There's three red flags right there that are all just going to turn out to be really bad in the end. So <clears throat> here's what I want to leave you guys with here. Two things here. And then I'll last point. You need to set guardrails in your relationship. Here's what I mean by that. You should have certain boundaries to where you say, if we get to this point, we're going to stop. Because if I don't stop, we're going to make a bad mistake. So here's what I mean by that. If you know that you have a hard time controlling yourself physically with that person, maybe a guardrail would be we don't go out on dates alone. Or if you go out on dates alone, we go in a public place where there's less temptation to do something. Okay? If that's not a strong temptation for you, it's still a good idea, but maybe um, you know that if that person starts hugging on you or kissing on you or whatever, then thoughts are going to come to your mind like most people are, and you're going to have a hard time controlling yourself. You just don't have that kind of self-control. Well, maybe you talk to your person before you start dating and say, hey, look, we're only going to hold hands, or we're only going to, you know, kiss every now and then, but we're going to stop at this point. Because if we go any further, I may go too far. I mean, oh, well, we may not be able to stop, and then we're going to regret it. You know, it's important before you date somebody, and I did this with Gracie, actually, that we talked about before we started dating, like, hey, here's the areas I know I'm weak in, and I know if it gets to this point, I may struggle. Here's the areas she's going to be weak in, and if we get to this point, she may struggle. So let's make sure we put ourselves in situations to succeed and be successful. Make sure we surround ourselves with people that are going to help us be the kind of couple that God wants us to be. And um, um, if you think about this, ultimately sex, we're talking about that, should be reserved for marriage and things like it. Because it's a biblical union between people and a covenant to ultimately give yourself to that person. So if you're not ready to commit marriage and give yourself to that person forever, then you shouldn't have sex. And here's, here's the reason why as well. Because God designed it that way, what you guys really think about this. Because God designed sex to be between a marriage where you come together and you become closer, it's an emotional and spiritual bond. Even psychology would tell you when you have sex with somebody, you become emotionally and spiritually bonded to that person whether you want to be or not, because your body naturally does that. So what I mean by that is that every time you have sex before marriage, you're giving a piece of yourself to that other person, whether you want to or not. So if that relationship doesn't work out, and eventually you meet your spouse down the road, you can't really give yourself fully to your spouse because you've already given yourself in some ways to other people. So although you can still have a great marriage and you can be redeemed and forgiven and all that, you've got to think about that because you, eventually, when you get to your wedding day, in that relationship, there's going to be things that are hindered in that relationship and things that are hurt because you've already given yourself and hearts to other people before you got to your wife or your husband. Now, in addition to, you know, sex being unbiblically before marriage, I want you guys to think about a few things here. Just not blow your mind a little bit. Okay? <clears throat> Doing that can also lead to other sin. Think about you guys' age right now. If your friends are sexually active with their boyfriends or girlfriends, 
they're probably not telling the parents, okay? They're, they're, they're going to lie about it. They're going to try to cover it up, you know, so it's going to lead to other sins as well, just naturally. And then in addition to that, you're going to feel a little guilty about that, especially the relationship messes up. And you guys break up, you're going to feel that guilt and that shame, like, dang, I shouldn't have done that. And so that also comes with that. And then obviously you guys know pregnancy can happen, diseases are possible. But I also want you guys to think about this. When you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, the person you're like, hey, I want to marry this person, they're a great person, not just on the outside, but on the inside. You know, God's called me to be with this person, most importantly, is his design. If you've already had a lot of these encounters before you meet your spouse, you're going to naturally probably compare to those other people. Or it's going to be hard not to. So it's going to be hard to only think about your spouse in that way because you're going to have to tell them about your previous encounters and you're going to have to relive that when you tell them that. And that's going to be hard for them and it's going to be hard for you. And so again, you've already started off that relationship and that marriage on a, on a shaky ground, on a rocky ground, where it didn't have to be that way. If you just, just follow God's design and God's plan, it can go much smoother. Again, that's why God calls you to follow this in a certain way. But now, the why. I want to leave you guys with this, though. <clears throat> Although God has guidelines on who to date and how to date, and eventually marriage, marriage can be one of the greatest gifts on earth. And ultimately, it could be the greatest gift you can ever receive earthly-wise while you're here. And it's something that if you guys want to pursue that, and you want to pursue a long-time relationship with somebody that hopefully leads to marriage in the future, I I'd encourage you, you know, to do that. You know, and dating the right time when you're ready and, and when you're ready to try to meet that person. But make sure you follow those guidelines. Because if you don't, things get messy, things get ugly really quickly. I want you guys to listen to how God talks about marriage and sex in the Bible. Are you guys ready about you ready for this? <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> when God when you follow God's design and you finally get married to the person that God called you to be with, and you become intimate with that person, it grows the relationship, because again, you're going to spiritually and emotionally bond. You're going to have a deeper intimacy. You're going to have love. You're going to have joy. You're going to have you know, satisfaction and comfort and peace and all that. So all that's to look forward to. So that's why I say that until then, because then you have a whole marriage to that person to enjoy those things with. And this is how Solomon describes it. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. We can get a little, little graphic, but... If you go, if you read to Song of Solomon, this is in the Bible, okay? And it says this here. <clears throat> this is Solomon talking about his new wife, okay? He says in chapter 7, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one with all your delight. Now, are you ready for this? Now, he uses some pretty intense <laughs> terminology. He says, Your statue is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. He says, I will climb the palm tree and I will lay hold of its fruit. Um, <laughs> um, listen, and then he says, well, we're just going to read one more verse. It says, Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. <laughs> so, um, so, <laughs> so it's all in Song of Solomon, okay? So Solomon was famous for being this. Patrick never reads that. 
Yeah, you never read that in church. Yeah. But in Song, in Song of Solomon, basically, Solomon talks about his love for his newfound wife. And Solomon was this uh, really intimate, romantic lover, and his wife apparently had a, had a great loving relationship. But the reason I share that with you is because, again, sex and marriage and all that, it's a good thing. It's enjoyable. Something to look forward to. Something to talk about and be excited about. But make sure you're doing it with the right person in the right context in a marriage. Because if you do it outside of that, it becomes a lot less enjoyable and you mess up that Song of Solomon story when you eventually get married. Because you have all these things you have to deal with and all this baggage you carry with you. So as we close, I want you guys to think about this. Sex is a beautiful gift of God, but it needs to be used how he intends it, with whom he intends it for. If you stay in the guidelines God provides, relationships and eventual marriage, and then sex with your spouse can be one of the greatest earthly gifts you get to experience in your life here on earth. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close and have some conversation. <clears throat> you know, thank you so much for this lesson. Thank you for your truth and just showing us, God, that yes, you intend marriage for a man and a woman, and you intend for us to follow sexual guidelines uh, while we're dating until we get married. But God, I, I, you also promise us that when we do get married to the right person, there's so much to enjoy. Not just sex, but the intimacy, the love, and the, and the care that you have. And ultimately, God, I, I ask that all of us treat one another as you treat us, with love and respect and with kindness. And God, we see somebody not following your design in relationships or anything in life. As we approach them in love, we see them as not where they're at, where they could be with you eventually, God. We show love and forgiveness and kindness, but only God lead them back to the truth. In your holy and precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. <laughs> Let me pause it.